0: This show is all about the people behind the science of so. biotechnology and medical devices. Through the stories of the people, I hope that Lab Rats to Unicorns is able to describe the transformative process of, you know, how an idea starts in the lab and eventually becomes a life-saving treatment or a product that, that helps patients with diseases. Life, Life-saving. Life Well, today I'm overjoyed to welcome uh, my friend and colleague, uh, David Steinberg. Uh, David is a general partner at Longwood Fund. He's currently the chairman of the board of Longwood Portfolio Companies, Fotis Therapeutics and B Biopharma, where he also served as founding chief executive officer. And he serves on the board of Longwood Portfolio Companies, Avant-Garde Bio, Carbon Biosciences, Lawson Therapeutics, and Rectify Pharmaceuticals. Before Longwood, he was co-founder and chief innovation officer of biotech venture creation firm PureTech Health, a publicly traded firm focused on launching and investing in innovative biotechnology companies. Um, and I think you can see the pattern here. David is a repeater, very successful founding entrepreneur uh, of many companies, but he was also co-founder and CEO of Longwood-founded companies Pixis Oncology. We did that together, so I'm excited to get into some of the details of, of that launch and 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 the Pixis story, but also Photos Therapeutics, B. Biopharma, Carbon, as well as co-founder and CEO of Vore Biopharma, which is publicly traded, Vedanta, Biosciences, and Calix. And he was also co-founder of Bio, which is also a NASDAQ-traded company. He previously worked in biopharma strategy at Boston Consulting Group and Vertex Partners, and R&D at P&G Pharmaceuticals. And for his academic training, uh, MBA from Chicago Booth, and then a BA in biology from Cornell University. Welcome to the podcast, David.
1: Thanks, John. Really great to be here. And uh that might be the first time anyone's ever been overjoyed to see me so
0: i'm excited yeah. <laughs> well it's the beginning of many more uh, of those uh we're starting a trend here david so i you know maybe just jumping right into it um what brought you into the industry you know was was what was the guiding force or north star that kind of got you going down this track uh into into biotech as a as a journey
1: yeah well so i was always fascinated by life science and biology I, when i did my undergrad, I started off more in sort of an ecology and evolution focused uh, track. And that was just based on some of the interests I had as a kid and in high school. And a lot, I grew up in Amherst, Mass. A lot of the um, role models that I had, parents of my friends, were professors and academics. In fact, almost all of them. So I sort of always had in mind that a success, an example of success in life was to become an academic. So, you know, that was sort of initially what I expected to happen. And that's what I set off to do when I went to college in the biology field. As I went through the experience and as I sort of did research and did a number of internships, I realized that I liked the sort of intellectual side of the biology piece, but the the, the deep dive research piece wasn't quite as exciting to me. So you know I did a few internships in that dec- ecology world where I was you know, studying earthworms and spending days and hours and weeks digging up transects and digging up earthworms and counting them. And that part of it wasn't as exciting for me. So I wanted to sort of think about ways that I could um, continue down this field in biology, but more in a sort of intellectually driven way versus a lot of like hands-on you know rolling up my sleeves i wasn't really a lab person i was more of a sort of question asker question answerer hmm. type of person um so that was sort of that was sort of how i got started my first job as you mentioned wasn't png so that was still in the r d side but then i quickly transitioned into strategy consulting i got to take a pretty broad look at lots of different angles on the pharmaceutical industry and in the field so at png i got to do process development and sort of really understand how the how the sausage was made so to speak and the nitty gritty of of getting a product you know out the door mm-hmm. and then in consulting i got to do everything from early R and D strategy to product launches salesforce optimization i saw the whole continuum and so as i got exposed to all those different things to me the most exciting part was really the early innovation coming up with the ideas that could make an impact and applying a really strategic lens to innovation was what ultimately got me excited. And that pushed me down the path of this innovation type of approach and biotech overall.
0: And, you know, it seems to me just kind of on that continuum, you know, walking forward, you know, it seemed kind of a pivotal point in time was in terms of, you know, fast forwarding to, to current day. A pivotal point was kind of getting PureTech up and going and, and off the ground. Um, was that fair to say that that kind of put you on a path where you, you were taking that innovation, you know, building teams around it, you know, building the appropriate infrastructure and financing to be able to launch, you know, in a successive fashion, you know, a whole series of, of very innovative biotechnology companies. Is that, is that fair to say that kind of PureTech kind of started to move you in that direction?
1: Yeah, for sure. So PureTech uh, was and is a, you know, one of the early venture creation type incubators, started by a really phenomenal entrepreneur, Daphne Zohar, still running it to this day. Um, and so I got involved very, very early in PureTech's lifecycle and helped sort of build out the model, which was really focused on streamlining and sort of systematizing entrepreneurship in life sciences, if you want to describe it like that. So the way we thought about it was that historically, entrepreneurship is typically very technology driven, single idea driven. An entrepreneur will jump on that and try to drive it to completion. That doesn't mean it's always the best idea or the best technology. And so what we said is how do we step back and approach entrepreneurship in a more, with a more venture like mindset, i.e., exploring lots of different opportunities for entrepreneurship and tackling the ones that we thought had the most potential. So instead of doing tech-driven, we started doing a more sort of unmet need, opportunity-driven type approach to company creation and life sciences. And so that would entail, for example, you know identifying very clear unmet medical needs, of which we know there are still a tremendous number, and 20 years ago when we were doing this even more. And then getting the the greatest experts from around the world in those areas from a diverse set of viewpoints to come, literally come into the office often multiple times and brainstorm with us how to address those unmet needs. So it was really a problem-driven approach. Uh, and so we, we thought that allowed us to be a little bit more systematic. And then we could evaluate a, new, a number of often dozens, sometimes hundreds of different technologies and approaches to address a particular unmet need before we could kind of drive enough confidence to jump in and really start a company. And sometimes we do go through one of these whole huge initiatives and decide, you know, the time isn't right. In fact, one of our, the first questions we always asked ourselves when we were starting a company, we'd always make a slide, we called it the time is now. Why is now the time to do this? Why wasn't it two or three years ago? And why, would, why shouldn't we be waiting two or three more years or more to do this. And we couldn't answer that in a way that was really convincing to ourselves. We wouldn't do a company. Uh, but often that yielded some really great insights and some really great in- innovations and served as the basis for a number of the companies that you mentioned in the bio and a bunch of other ones as well.
0: I want to come back to this in a minute, but that platform and the approach that you know was undertaken by uh, pure tech was you know had a lot a lot of foresight and, and in so many ways you know ahead of its time and you think about today uh, there are so many uh, groups that are are emulating that approach um, as standard practice and so it's just interesting to watch the evolution of the industry the uh, the evolution and acceleration of the venture model, even to modern day, David, I don't know about you, but we even talked to a lot of pharmaceutical company groups that increasingly are looking at, you know, company creation and, and venture creation. And I just think that's very, you know, interesting. And in so many ways, it dates back to the the origins of, of pure tech and others like it that we're moving down that pathway. So we'll come back to that. And I want to get your views on that, you know, as we, you know, carry on the conversation here, but, you know, kind of back to your journey and the story. Um, was, was it around Around the time I, I I can't recall where the MBA at Booth fit into your uh, continuum of of development was that before Pure Tech or during or maybe you could comment on on, yeah. on that and and also just while you're at it is it worth getting an MBA that's a question that I know my kids ask and there's a lot of others you know out there in the world that are asking the question is an MBA important to the future.
1: Yeah, Booth was, so I did a stint at P&G, a stint at a consulting firm called Vertex Partners, which is not affiliated with Vertex Pharmaceuticals. It was in sort of the Bain lineage. Uh, Booth was after that in 99. And then I did a brief stint at the Boston Consulting Group and then got involved with PureTech in 2002. And with respect to the MBA, I would say for me, it was extremely valuable. It was a little bit of a career, you know, pivot—not total pivot—but gave me some tools that I didn't have. I think more importantly, amazing networking. I mean, as evidenced by the fact that, you know, through that ultimately is where you and I, you know, connected after a series of different events and mm-hmm. ended up starting companies together, and I still have roots back there. And you know, we do things together there in tech development and investing and all those kinds of things. Um, For sure, more specifically, if people are looking to get into life science entrepreneurship, I'd probably push more towards a a PhD first, MD second, MBA probably a distant third, Mm -hmm. in terms of like the things that'll prepare you the best to do entrepreneurship in the life sciences. That's just my opinion. Because life science is so complex and so hard to wrap your brain around some of the technologies and approaches, you know, I feel like not having the PhD, it's not really an impediment, but it is something that makes me have to work a little harder. I don't know if you feel the same way, mm-hmm. you know, where some of those tools that the PhDs that I work with have acquired have served them incredibly well over the years. So generally MBA, yes, specifically as a life science entrepreneur, helpful, but not as helpful as some other things.
0: Yeah, no, and and to your point, you know, I think uh, one, one of the most Uh, inspiring parts of, you know, being in the business is the people you get to interact with and, and, um, like you, I, I love working with the scientists and the characters involved and, you know, what comes from their minds and, you know, ultimately trying to shape and uh, orient, you know, an idea so they can move downstream, you know, and, and I would, I would argue that to some degree, it's, it's a double-edged sword uh, being, not having the technical background to some degree is disarming in working with those individuals that you can only have, you know, a deep respect and, and uh, admiration for, you know, in that relationship. Um, I've, I've, so I've found some PhDs working together to, you know, there, there can be some combative back and forth that, that goes with that. So it depends on the nature of what you're trying to do in the role that you're in, Um but I think that, you know, from, from my perspective, that's been one of the positive elements of, you know, having maybe a different background, you know, in, in moving ideas forward and into the market and just watching you and, and you know, your prolific track record. I'm sure that has to be part of it, too. Just some of the people that you get to interact with. And maybe that's a good um, um, transition point around just getting into some of the startups you've been associated with. Um, what, what was one of your first startups that you kind of saw all the way through from beginning idea and then into you know the the IPO and and any any vignettes or stories around some of the early findings that you had or challenges that you had to face in in getting up you know i'm I'm thinking about vor or maybe restore bio or one of those companies in the portfolio
1: yeah i mean uh I think I draw different lessons from different companies. Uh, So I don't think any one company is sort of the template and they're all different and they're all very, very individual in the way you have to approach them. I mean, I think, you know, so for example, there were one of the, one of the earlier companies I started Vedanta Biosciences, still private, but, you know, has raised hundreds of millions of dollars, has multiple programs in the clinic, including programs entering phase three, hopefully some amazing data. That's been generated, clinical data, it's in New England Journal. Um, hopefully, there'll be a drug in the next few years that'll get launched. Um, that was one of the first ones that I sort of involved with early on as founding CEO and saw it through to like handing off to the next phase of its evolution. Um, a lot of the early learnings were just, you know, staying very, very focused on what your key objectives are that build value in the company. You know, let I me mean, maybe roll back a little bit. Vedanta Biosciences was one of the first human microbiome companies. You know, there's, a, there's been a proliferation of those subsequently as with most modalities, you know, there's sort of a, a peak and then a valley and then it's kind of, kind of comes trickling back. So we're in the trickling back phase now of the human microbiome story. Uh, with some great data and some drugs, you know, about to be approved. Um, You know, early on when you start these sort of big idea platform type companies, it's very, very easy to get lost in all the different opportunities that you can pursue. And so having that discipline early on becomes extremely important. And actually at PureTech, the way we did it is we would seed these deals with very, very small amounts of capital and there are some drawbacks to that, of course, but there's some huge advantages in that it absolutely demands fine-tuned focus, and you really just have to, you really just have to stay 100% dedicated to the things that are going to move the company forward and allow you to raise additional capital, and you have to do it in an extremely capital-efficient way. So that was an incredibly important part, really understanding like you know there's some missteps early on, not necessarily with this company, but in early companies of trying to understand what makes a academic technology transferable to a industrial setting versus what doesn't and how to differentiate those kinds of things. And you start to get a feel for the kinds of data that you are looking for in order to make a tech, you know, a successful company where the tech transfer actually works we started every most of us in this industry have had the experience where you get really excited about a company uh technology put it in a company and then no one else can get it to work other than the the pi or the postdoc so you start looking for things that you know multiple folks have replicated hopefully in other labs you look for things where there's lots of different data from different angles supporting it not just one or two assays those kinds of things often if you can you try to replicate things yourself, that's not always the case, but you don't always have the opportunity. Uh, so there's some early things about the science that I also kind of learned about how to vet things. And then the, sort of the founding team of these companies. Um, first of all, just starting with absolute world-class sciences, scientists who show that they have a spirit of sort of collaboration and want to work with other great scientists on the scientific advisory board and as founders. But also, that you always need that early, one or two key technical people in the company. Doesn't have to be like a you know, a CSO necessarily, even a VP. You know, you and I started Pixis together. The first employee was, I think, a director, associate director, but the glue that brought the whole company together, right? And it was willing to really dig in, do everything, no matter what it takes to get the company started and you i found that one of the most important things to the early success of these companies is finding those people who are willing to really like drive things forward and have the competence to do it total self starters and get things done so that's the sort of at least some of the early learnings as I, as we go through it i can talk about later learnings if you
0: want. Yeah, it. no, that's great. And the 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 points you're making I think are yeah. are spot on and and one of the maybe uh, follow-on questions are digging a little bit deeper and, you know, picking the scientific co-founder, can you just comment on some of the key attributes of, you know, a a productive kind of um, prolific uh, scientific co-founder or maybe certain attributes that, y- you know, you maybe pick up as red flags as they're not the right partner to get to get started with. Um, because, you know, it, it, picking your partner early on, you know, is a is a really important characteristic of having any chance of success long term. I just wonder what you've found in that regard uh, 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 around patterns.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, the things I look for are, because, you know, almost all these companies that we're starting in this space, typically are working with absolute world-class, top-of-their-field type Mm -hmm. of folks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, surprisingly, most of the folks in that, of that stature are, you know, very sort of down-to-earth, accommodating, collaborative, but some aren't, right? Mm -hmm. Every once in a while, you find folks who just haven't, sort of figured that piece of it out. So you do, you do have to vet that early on. You just want someone who's going to be willing to do whatever it takes, roll up their sleeves, um, treat you as a peer and a colleague and the other members of the scientific advisory board as a peer and a colleague. And are really most focused on seeing the technology succeed versus like other ulterior motives around getting a company started. Um, you're looking for people that are sort of available and responsive you know if someone if you can't chase someone down when you're you know in that sort of courting period when you're just when you're even trying to get the company up and running it's going to be really hard to do it uh afterwards when everyone's already locked in i I often find uh, people have a real spirit of collaboration and can work well with other scientific advisory board members people that are consistent i.e what they say is what they do and they say the same thing when you come back and revisit the same you know question later uh, you know you can some some folks are a little bit all over the place and you find out you know we're not going to be able to you know for example trying to renegotiate deals on the fly and things like that it just makes it very very hard to get, keep a company going so there's those these little hallmarks you learn to look out for and things that you learn to avoid
0: and, you know, you would then followed on, you know, those early successes uh, at PureTech, you know, over many years, you ultimately, you know, decided to kind of move forward and and ultimately join the Longwood team. And maybe now would be a good time, especially as we talk about good scientific co-founders to introduce the Pixar story, you know, kind of getting that off the ground and, you know, what, what we learned together and maybe even just from your vantage point, some of the um, early days in kind of getting that going and you know woven into this is you know our colleague uh, Dr. Tom Gajewski you know who you know i think falls in that category of you know collaborative and uh, forward looking and willing to roll up his sleeves and 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 be be a good partner and 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 try to it, all of us together learn along the way but maybe you could just start off by talking a little bit about your transition you know um and and getting that company uh to become a reality
1: Yes. Yeah, so, around five or six years ago, PureTech began a, a pivot to more of a traditional biotech type of model with an in, internal portfolio that was being driven forward, you know, as a wholly owned sort of portfolio versus a set of externally fa- financed companies. So that that sort of innovation model was starting to be, you know, redirected. And so for me, I decided I wanted to keep doing that same kind of early innovation. And it made sense to sort of look for other places to do that. Uh, Longwood was one of the, you know, uh, increasingly increasing number of, of groups that were doing that at the time. This was 2018, uh, but still relatively rare, you know, amongst venture, you know, most venture groups are still really folk. I, I compare it to like being an artist versus an art critic. You know, if you, you have to if you're the artist, you have to come up with the idea and execute on it. If you're the critic, you can kind of look at art and say, decide where you want, to, you know, where you want to uh, place your bets, so to speak. So uh, most venture funds are still in that latter camp, and there were a few that are in that venture creation space. That's what drew me to to Longwood. And Christoph of course, Christoph Westfall is the founder, founding partner. Uh, really one of the most prolific entrepreneurs in this industry has started, you know, I think seven biotechs' founding CEO that are public now, probably over, over a dozen drugs that have been launched from companies that he started. So, you know, great, great opportunity, great role model, great person to sort of hitch my wagon to to continue to do this.
0: Yeah, I mean, and speaking, you know, just kind of the, like the one of the true masters, when you talk about being an artist, a, a true a true master, you know, in 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 the whole field. And you think about some of the companies that, you know, came out of his work, you know, El Nylon being one, and it's just a whole handful of others. And just the people, the people part of it again, you know, um, yes. you know, yeah, I know that one of your founders at Longwood, Rich Aldrich, and back to the Vertex days. And you know, I remember reading, you know, books like The Billion Dollar Molecule, um, you know, the just being really inspired by how Vertex got founded, how that drug got you know discovered, and, and, and how they were in many ways swimming upstream back in a time when big pharma was soup to nuts, and so biotech was very revolutionary and, and maverick in that sense. Christoph right in the center of all that action is kind of a, you know, that, that's what you were joining into, in a way.
1: Exactly, yeah. You know, I try to, as most of us do, I would imagine, I try to learn from everyone that I work for and work with. And actually, in in you know different ways, both Daphne and Christopher are some of the best entrepreneurs out there working in this field. And so to just you know that my tendency is to be a little bit more analytical, a little more kind of strategic, I guess. And so to to be able to observe and sort of be mentored by those folks, both of them, and watch them have the attitude of like I'm going to run through walls to make this happen. And once we decide that. You know, we're going for it we're going to make it happen no matter what against against whatever obstacles might come up is incredibly energizing and motivating and inspiring and it kind of helps folks like me who are a little more analytical to sort of master some of those so those skills so absolutely it's a great opportunity um and then actually in that light or in that sort of vein getting back to Pixis now you know when i got to, to longwood uh, sh- shortly thereafter, I believe you and I had a conversation that Tom Gajewski, who you mentioned earlier, was doing some really incredible work around some novel targets in the oncology space. Uh, and to his credit, when I kind of brought the idea to Christoph, his response was like, "Hey, yeah, if you can make it happen, I'll support you." You know, so it wasn't it wasn't like, "Oh, I'll do it for you," and it wasn't like jump through a bunch of hoops. It was like. Yep, go be an entrepreneur, go make it happen. So, you know, you and I, John, obviously spent a lot of time together thinking about it, spent a lot of time with Tom, went out to Napa Valley to kind of really cement the relationship. Mm-hmm. Didn't drink that much, right? We were We kept it under control.
0: No, we were very focused, Yeah, very focused on the concept. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And I would say that, you know, dating back a year prior, that was, it was, I think it was a year prior to that at JP Morgan, where, you know, I remember specifically meeting with you um, at the the last drop in in San Francisco, which is just a bar. I think it's probably shut down by now, but, you know, that was kind of the early origins of, Hey, there could be something here, you know? And so then fast forward to, to Napa and then, you know, that was just the beginning, you know, carry on. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think we, first thing we had to do was sort of align on the vision for the company and, you know, everything from the strategic focus to the name. You know, we spent a bunch of time emailing, brainstorming names, had to change the name a couple of times, as you often do, um, getting our, you know, economic deal worked out amongst the various groups, all those kinds of things. And then, you know, went out and sort of Started pitching the story externally. So, you know, it's a pretty high degree of difficulty, actually, what we do at Longwood um, and what we do with Pixis, which is typically you're taking an ap- academic technology. And more often than not, we're not doing a sort of a seed round, we're going straight into a series A. And that was, in fact, the model we pursued with Pixis. And we got some great other co investors to join us alongside uh, Agent Capital. Uh, Leaps by Bayer, Ipsen, Longwood, of course, was involved. Um, and then, you know, we're able to close that round and get the company financed. Got our first couple of early employees, like we talked about before, who could really then get everything stood up and get the company up and running and off the ground. And uh, I think one of the most important things, of course, was getting the CSO at the time, Ronald Herbst, and the CEO, Laura Sullivan, on board, all sort of within three, four, five months of when we got the company financed and handing it off to, rather than you and me, the sort of dilettantes trying to run it, the experts who do this for a living, mm-hmm. to really run it and drive it forward. And they did an incredible job of both advancing the I.O. programs, and Laura had a very expansive vision of how, to, how does she more broadly go after, and how does the company more broadly go after oncology, and so brought in some, some ADC programs. As well, that were a little bit later stage that could drive the company forward.
0: Yeah, no, what, a, what an exciting journey, but, you know, challenging, right? I mean, I remember a few uh, fits and starts along the way, you know, especially in those early days where it truly is just a vision. You know, it's a... It's 20 years of work and expertise of Tom and the non-canonical approach he was taking to biology, kind of on the heels of the success of uh, what was seen coming out of Jim Allison's lab and you know the the Nobel laureate focused on checkpoint inhibitors, kind of the next generation, and and so getting people to believe in that, um, that that not only were interested you know and 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 believing but ready to invest and. You know, maybe you could talk a little bit about, it. and it's not specific to Pixis, but that's a challenging part of the process. even, with your track record, even, you know, with the technologies that you're putting together, it, it's such a, you, you said, it's 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 not for the faint of heart. I mean, I, I kind of, I, I watch, you know, you know, various, various, you know, mountain climbing shows and you think of Free Solo or, you know, The Alpinist. I mean, there's no ropes in, involved, you know, in the kind of work that, that we do. Maybe you could just comment a little bit about just that the early fundraise process and, you know, whether it's, you know, some of the stories around Pixis or just, Related to that, of just you know getting it to go, getting getting that art to be kind of adopted and and financed, you know by uh, by the Medici's, if you will.
1: Yeah, it's a great analogy, the free climb, and you know even to extend on that. Often you have to sort of leap for a handhold without exactly knowing where it is, and also knowing that if you miss, there's nothing to catch you um, because really like, you know, the path is often not well trod, right? So you're, you're taking a lot of risk. Um, and yeah, it can be ex- extremely, it can be a high wire act, it can be incredibly stressful, you know, lots of twists and turns, lots of setbacks. Uh, I mean, I, you know, so the first part, we, we at Longwood, and this is sort of how I think about it myself, There's sort of three components to getting a company running and off the ground so there's the the ideation if you want to call it that then there's the financing and then there's the operations and they all play together and so you know in that early ideation you're looking for something that's really really clearly differentiated and that you can tell a story around so, you know, for me I like to take I mean similar to what I described at PureTech, I like to take a theme driven approach and say how do I go you know what's what how do I go after something where I know I can tell a story, right, where I can t- describe something in 30 seconds that's going to be incredibly meaningful and incredibly potent to a set of investors who often are listening to multiple pitches a day. Dozens of pitches a month, you know, hundreds a year, literally. How do you differentiate and rise above the noise there? So a lot of time is spent just thinking about, like, exactly what are the bones of this thing, and how do you crystallize your story down into something that is really, really compelling. A lot, you know, even if, even if these are the most sophisticated people in the world, which a lot of them are, it's still marketing, right? And you still have to think about what is the story that you're telling. So we spend a lot of time on that, workshopping internally workshopping with friendly advisors right as either like longwood scientific advisors strategic advisors we'll go to pharma folks bounce it off of them see what they think uh and then you know even with the best story all your ducks in a row your ip lined up you know your your all your data all cleaned up looking pretty you still you know are typically are out there pitching for a while, kissing a lot of frogs, you know, the, all the cliches, uh, even with the best stories. So, you know, B-Bio, which is a, you know, I'll, I can talk more about it in a little bit, but it's an engineered therapeutic B-cell company. Incredible technology, amazing academic founders, really transformational. Like, I, I believe this company actually has a chance to to be incredibly transformational in the biopharma world. It's engineered therapeutic B-cells, so I can your B-cells, both where we have autologous and also allogeneic, put in any protein I want, give it back to you without any preconditioning, and these will go home to your bone marrow and, and mm. express protein for long, long periods of time. So you can imagine there's almost an unlimited number of things you can do. Incredibly potent technology with great founders, all the academic works, incredible. Still, you know, that was a long process, lots of pitches. Lots of no's. You know, people can say no. Investors can say no for many, many, many reasons. And some of them have to do with exactly what you're doing and what your company is. But some of them have nothing to do with it. Right. So you got to find the right people, the right match. And then, you know, eventually we put together, of course, an incredible syndicate on B-Bio with RA and Atlas leading it, Longwood, Alta. Takeda Ventures came in, you know, Arch led the B, brought in a bunch of other investors, so ended up being a, a, a really nice trajectory and progression. And they're actually getting ready to go into the clinic pretty soon. Uh, but, you know, still a ton of work getting that thing off the ground and getting it launched.
0: And, you know, what you described there is kind of, it's kind of Crazy! It takes a bit of a crazy person. I don't. Is that in your in your DNA? Like, why why keep uh, coming back? It's almost like a surfer, you know, I swim out to the swells, you know, ride the hundred foot wave, and then get get to the surf, but then go right back out again. You know, what is there something in us that why do we keep going back uh, out there? What what is it that uh, that that causes that? Because what you're describing there too is, you know, building a biotech company is a little bit more like a relay race in the way you're describing it. You know, you're passing the baton off to another set in, in the case of Pixis, we were so lucky to have Lara Sullivan pick up the baton and move it forward into the public company that it is today. And, you know, with a great future with, you know, three compounds and, you know, in in the clinic and, and whatnot. But if you, if you look at, that, um, there's, there's a whole series of downstream players that, you know, we helped get, get going, but why do we go back upstream? Why, why don't we just keep going along with the, with the wave? I don't know. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's sort of a it's a combination of things for me. And first of all, I mean, I have, I've thought about this a lot because, you know, if, if I ask myself kind of my core personality traits, handling like Rejection, well, it's not one of them. It really is not. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, like when I'm when I'm out pitching one of these companies, you you'll get you can get fifty nos for the best company. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you have, from
0: friends, have from friends from that friends that perhaps have even funded you before. Well,
1: you've done yeah. other deals with before. Yeah. Yep. You have you know you have drinks with, hang out with it, JP Morgan. You know you play pickleball whatever right. Um, and so you have to. I mean, for me, part of it is personal. It's like, I think it's actually good, I don't know, training, right? Or self-control, self-discipline or whatever, to learn how to get that kind of feedback and adjust to it. Mm-hmm. And part of it is just the, the excitement around innovation. Like mm-hmm. some of these technologies are so cool mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. potentially transformational. And it's so important that they actually get out there and see the light of day. That it's like this has to get done, like some, this must be done, you know. And so, even though there can be some personal, uh, for me, it's even like some anxiety involved with it, et cetera. Yeah. Like it kind of needs to be done, you know, for yeah. society and for, you know, our our limited partners and for everything else. Right, we've got to drive these things forward. So, um, I think it's I think it's a combination of both. Uh, self-learning and also just that re- relentless like excitement about like what what's innovative what's the next thing where can we really make a difference
0: so back to your phrase this must be done you know can you comment on things in your mind that you know you're really you know excited about just thematically you know as you look out over the next decade you know what are some of the areas that get you really excited about you know where the next company might come from and what it might focus on or different different areas of, of, uh, of focus
1: yeah, so one, I definitely feel like B, B Bio is one of those where if we can create basically pro, pretty benignly administered protein factories that can admit, that can um, release almost any protein we want and persist for months or even years, I think that has transformational potential. Another area we're looking at at Longwood that we have some companies brewing, but we haven't announced anything yet is what I describe as taking genetic medicines and converting them into small molecules. So finding ways to, to effect the downstream complex biology you would with a genetic medicine, like a CRISPR-based approach or a cell therapy and doing that with a small molecule. And, you know, it sounds, it sounds cool when you say it that way. Of course, it's very, very, very hard to do. So there's ways to do it with things that are bifunctional. There's also also ways to do it targeting, for example, nucleic acids directly with small molecules that start to do things that look like what the kinds of biology you can affect with genetic medicines. So that's a big area for me that I think, you know, assuming the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act, pricing things around small molecules, we figure out mm-hmm. that's going to be huge is sort of moving, basically taking these genetic medicines and finding them, finding ways to make them broadly available. That could mean converting them into small molecules. That could mean bringing prices way down. That could mean making, you know, manufacturing sort of much more mainstream and widespread. There are lots of groups working on those kinds of things. But basically, these kinds of complex, elaborate gadgets, if you want to call it that, being accessible at prices that are broadly population uh, acceptable.
0: Yeah, yeah, very, very cool. Yeah, and just just for the listening audience, the IRA Inflation Reduction Act, among many things that it is doing um, through the federal government, um, one of the real challenges that it's imposed on the biotech and pharma world is um, it, it is disincentivizing innovation around conventional small molecule therapeutics, as David has talked about a number of times. These are drugs that, Um, we've relied on for, you know, the greater part of a, over a century, you do using organic synthesis and chemistry to make these molecules that, you know, are, are, are life-saving drugs today. There's an economic disincentive to doing that. And so hopefully we can find a way to, you know, um, amend or rectify that, um, so that, You know all kinds of drugs, including cell therapy, gene therapy, biologics, uh, that that maybe are a little bit more uh, positively incented through the Inflation Reduction Act can can move down the stream. Um, David, switching gears a little bit, you know, as we begin to wind down the conversation, um, the r- rumor has it you're writing a book. Can you just oh, comment boy. on I didn't know you were gonna you, ask about that. <laughs> can you comment can you comment on it. that and, and, and what 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 is it that got you going in that uh, down that particular pathway?
1: Well I guess this will sound a little nerdy but I guess in this industry we're all a little nerdy in some respect or another. Uh, yeah, around the beginning of COVID when I was spending a lot of time sitting at home and, you know, you could go outside and exercise, but you really couldn't socialize or run into a lot of other things you could do. I'd always had this book rattling around my head. It's in the sort of epic fantasy, swords and sorcery realm. And so I just you know, started on Saturday mornings when the rest of the family was asleep early in the morning and i get up and just bang out some, you know, some prose. And it sort of snowballed on itself and I ended up cranking out a about 110,000 word book, which I'm really proud of. As I started digging into publishing, it's extremely, extremely difficult and extremely competitive. So it may just be something that myself and, you know, my five best friends read, (laughs) but nonetheless it was incredibly rewarding. And if I ever have, you know, time to really, really dive in and polish it, maybe someday you'll see uh, but,
0: well, as uh, you know, I hope I'm amongst you know one of the five that gets a yeah. gets a copy of that. I'll send you
1: a, <laughs> I'll send you a, a proof, John. Just bear <laughs> so, in mind that it's sort of a beta. A beta
0: read. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that's great. Yeah. And you know, I think, you know, as as we look ahead to the future, you know, one of the things I'm generally excited about, and again, to to use that word overjoyed. I mean, I think the audience understands why I'm overjoyed to to talk to my friend David. But, you know, one of the things that, you know, on the on the uh, personal side, you know, as Portal has expanded, we're just um really thrilled about you know opening a site now in Dorchester in Boston and hopefully you know being nearer to David nearer to Longwood Fund with the opportunity to to swim out to the swells again and build a company build it in a, you know in a space that you know will be collaborating and adding value to you know future Longwood companies in that particular ecosystem you know as 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 you know David you know um, portal is is really focused on Many things that that Longwood is focused on, but facilitating it, adding that dimension of of physical space in addition to the the capital and the. And the team building that goes into building a great biotechnology company. But I think what I've found in the journey and what I love about the process, um, uh, like it or not, <laughs> is the the building process and the risk that goes with it. Um, but there are others like us. You know, you mentioned employee number one. Um, it's fun to see people come back to the nest, if you will. So Janina Varia Ver- being one of those founding employees of Pixis. Found that same you know uh, pattern in her her own journey you know working at Pixis through the IPO being integral to the team but then wanting to get back to the to the startup phase so we're not alone in that in that regard David um, any 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 thoughts in closing any any closing comments around you know your feeling around you know we're we're surrounded at the moment you know in, in a market that's less than ideal at least in the public markets. What, what kind of um, words of wisdom do you have uh, to kind of the next generation of entrepreneurs, you know, whether it's a new faculty member, you know, someone that's, you know, aspiring to kind of, you know, walk in your shoes, you know, with an MBA or with a business background, words of wisdom, you know, to think about today as it relates to the, the future of biotech? Do we stay with it and keep going? Or, um, you know, do we, do we have to be, um, you know, is, is this something that, you know, that the anxiety is, is, is too much to, to carry on?
1: Yeah, that's an important question. Uh, you know, having now been through this is my third real downturn in the biotech industry. You know, it's pretty common that when you're at the peak, it feels like it's never going to end, and we're at the nadir, it feels like it's never going to end. And right now, we might, we may be coming out of the nadir a little bit, right? There have been a few IPOs that have been successful. Over the last few months, interest rate increases may be slowing or ending. Uh, the IBB is, looks like it's okay. You know, the stock market stabilizing, the economy looks good, inflation's way down. You know, all the things that have dragged down the market heretofore, at this or, or previously, at this point, look like maybe they're aligning to help us out. So, will it change? I don't know. Are things starting to align? Maybe it'll change. I hope so. But my fundamental outlook, which I think hopefully most people in this industry share, is rosy. I mean, you know, we talked about the opportunity space in this area. So, you know, I think the first phase, I mean, in very, very, very simple terms, and we could do a whole podcast on this, maybe we should. Hmm. The first sort of phase of pharma drug development was, you know, up until whatever, the 70s, 80s, right, which was sort of one... Either we, did, we t- tried something, it worked, we didn't even know why, but you know nothing else was out there, so we got it approved. Or sort of one drug, one target, all small molecule. And a lot of that low-hanging fruit disappeared and we had to come up with more clever and creative ways of tackling some of the biology that wasn't amenable to sort of the first generation of the types of small molecules that we knew how to work with. Uh, now the amount of innovation in terms of the kinds of technologies available to us to solve these problems is absolutely incredible and unprecedented. I mean, in 2012-ish, we thought CRISPR was, you know, a -a once-in-a-lifetime breakthrough. Now there are dozens of known CRISPR-type enzymes and probably hundreds out there, including in different, you know, in eukaryotes, prokaryotes, all different. So the proliferation of technologies to solve these problems is absolutely incredible. So what we're going to be able to do is take some of these things that are super expensive and niche, focus on rare diseases and drive the price way down, drive the accessibility way down, and drive the a- applicability way up. And if you look at what's going on in the world, you know, the burden of disease is still rising at like unprecedented rates. Spending on drugs in the US and around the world is still growing dramatically. Innovation is at all-time high. So kind of all the, you know, startups are still happening at a pretty incredible rate, you know, lower than maybe 2021, but higher than any time before it's, let's say, 2018. So the core driving force is still there of the need to address human health. The core technology and underlying opportunity is still there. When the market will figure that out and realign, none of us can know and you have to have sort of the fortitude to go through it, you know, be fearful when others are greedy, greedy when others are fearful. I think that's from Warren Buffett. But, you know, it's just time to sort of buckle down, fight your way through it and wait until things open up again, hopefully in the next 6 months, but almost certainly, you know, sometime relatively soon.
0: I love it. I love your vision. I love the characterization. I believe in it myself. I feel lucky to have you as a friend, and I'm excited to have you back on the show at some point in the future and dive deeper in some of these subject areas. And uh, equally importantly, you know, look forward to continuing to collaborate. So I admire all your work, and I know our audience will really enjoy hearing your story.
1: Yeah, this is great. It's been you a know, pleasure starting companies with you. Hopefully, now that Portal's in Boston, we can do a few more. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate you having me on the show and look forward to future conversations.
0: All right, David, thank you, take care. Thanks for joining us today. It was another great episode. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with our guests today and were inspired the way I was. Looking forward to reconvening again in two weeks. Please visit our website at labrats2unicorns.com. We welcome any of your comments, feedback, ideas. If you want me to ask certain questions of guests or you have ideas, of people that we should be interviewing.
1: That is all goodbye.